Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. Happy Palm Sunday. Uh, love Palm Sunday. It's the party before the party. And uh, I remember being a kid growing up in church and used to always give you palm branches. You remember that back in the day? And uh, so fun. Anyway, so um, this, this day marks for us Christian calendar, Big C Church. Jesus showing up into just the triumphal entry, showing up into Jerusalem and uh, making his way towards the cross. And everybody there has an idea uh, really of who Jesus is. And um, everyone there has kind of like who he should be, um, the expectations that they hold on Jesus. But then he begins to define something entirely different over the course of that week. And, and we see it all throughout the Gospels. Um, people have a certain expectation. Jesus is going to be a political Messiah. Jesus is going to be a new King David 2.0. We're going to take Rome over. We're going to get things, you know, this guy makes, you know, fish and loaves kind of appear from nowhere. You want to put that guy in charge. Like, you know, there's some things that he's taught we've never heard before. Um, but then Jesus lays his life down only to pick it up again. And, uh, and the expectations that they have didn't meet the definition that Jesus had for himself. This series is all about that. This series is all about who Jesus says he is. And, um, and it's called I Am. Uh, we we started off talking about the fact that in Exodus 3, there's this encounter with Moses and God in Exodus 3, burning bush. God's speaking to Moses through this burning bush, and he sends him, he calls him, and he sends him to deliver his people. And uh, Moses is a reluctant prophet. He's, he thinks he's bad for this job. You know what I mean? There's all kinds of reasons to not do it. And, uh, but, but he finally, he says, who do I even say sends me? Who, so who is it that's sending me? And he says this. God says, I am that I am. And then Jesus, when he shows up on the scene in the book of John, seven times he gives us a definition for who he is by pointing to his divinity. And he uses this phrase, this exact phrase used in the book of Exodus to point to the fact that, hey, I'm God. And then he begins to define it by saying things like, I am the bread of life. We talked about that week one. So Jesus is talking to a stadium full of people, thousands of people, when he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, he feeds them all, fish and loaves, and then right after that, they go across the lake, and he tells them, hey, you're hungry for things like physical needs, but I'm telling you, if you knew who was standing in front of you, I'm all satisfying everything that you could ever need. I'm your provider. I am the source. And then week two, we talked about the fact that he is the light of the world. Jesus stands up where these lamps had just illuminated all of the city, right in the courtyard, right outside of the temple. And uh, he stands up right after the, the, the festival and he says, I'm the light of the world. And he's talking about the fact that Jesus shows us both the direction for our life, the path that we should take, but he also shows us the areas of our life where we've missed it. And that's what light does, reveals the path that we walk on, also missed marks and sin and brokenness in areas that we just really need to come back to where God wants us to go. Last week, we nodded to the fact uh, Pastor Matt Fry was here. It was so great. Um, he wrote a book. We got some available if you want them. You didn't get one last week. But uh, he was talking a little bit. He nodded to the fact that Jesus is the door. Your Bible may say the gate or the gatekeeper. The fact that he is the way to God. 
He's the way to the Father. He's the way. He tells us, hey, I'm going to open up the door and you can have green pastures in and out. And so we're going to talk a little bit this week um, about our fourth statement, and that's, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to read a passage to you to jump us off. Jesus says this in John 10.10, 10, one of my favorite scripture verses. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so if you're new to church, this is your first time in church in a long time, or you just need to be reminded, God loves you, is for you, and draws you into an abundant life. Not just um, spiritual autopilot, not just existing, not just getting by, not just, I'm going to keep my head down, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to get a job, you know, I'm going to retire in 30 years, I'm going to have 2.5 kids in a garage, we're going to go Disney every three years, like, you know, like, I'm just, I don't want anybody to know my junk, I don't want, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep my head down, and I'm going to just, and then die, like, that's so, he, he's like, no, I want you to have a life to the full, I want you to have an abundant life, and um, last year, if, if you've been with our church family for a while, last summer, Brooke and I, are, uh, we had a daughter, Zoe Hope, passed away in, in the summer. And we named her Zoe. We knew she had a condition and it wasn't compatible with life. And so we named her Zoe, which is, this is the phrase in John 10.10, 10, which is the life, is the word for life. It means abundant life in John 10.10. 10. And um, on her little uh, footstone, uh, it just has her name, and then it has this passage, John 10.10, 10, because it's such a powerful reminder that, um, that God is for you, and he offers life, and not just eternal life, but life now. He wants you to have life now. And then right after Jesus uses this John 10.10 10 passage, this is what he says. This is the I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Is like, I don't get paid. I don't get paid enough for this. It's a wolf. You know what I'm saying? I don't get paid. I'm, I'm out. Uh, he says, but listen, I'm the good shepherd. I own the sheep. The sheep know me. I know the sheep, and the sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Um, anytime I've ever heard this passage preached, almost overwhelmingly, if you've been in church any, any, any amount of time, you'll hear people preach this passage, or talk about shepherding, and then talk about how dumb sheep are, um, if you've been around church. And... and uh, and, but sheep are dumb. They are really dumb. And so, th- like, things like, uh, for example, if you leave sheep in a field and don't lead them to a new field, they will just eat the field until there's nothing left to eat. And then they will eat each other's excrement and die. That's true. Okay? So it's like, you're like, wow, we're starting off real strong today. Okay? So it's like, but that's true. You got to lead them to, new, the, to green pastures, to new pastures. And sheep wonder. They have a tendency, uh, to, again, because they don't know what they're doing. And so some of them just kind of... Just kind of wander off. They get lost. They don't know where they're at. They, they're not like dogs. They're sheep. So they just kind of go. They're, they're, we like them. I mean, they're, I mean they're, they look good in a the field. They're fluffy. You can wear uh, their, their coat, which is weird. Like we make pea coats out of their hair. It's weird. But then, and, then, uh, and they taste good. Um, but, but, so, but, but they, but, so we like them. They're no threat to us. They're no threat to anyone. So, but, they're, but they're fun. Um, but they have a tendency to wander off. And um, back in the day when you had shepherds, if sheep would wander, continually wander, this is a sheep fact that maybe you didn't know, um, if sheep would wander off, 
the shepherd would go find the sheep that continues to wander off, break the legs of the sheep, and then put it on its shoulders and carry the sheep until the legs had healed. Once the legs had healed, it puts the sheep down, and the sheep follows right next to the shepherd. Right? So um, with that in mind, take a look at this photo. Um, now, how many of you grew up in Sunday school? You grew up in Sunday school, had felt boards, you know what I'm talking about? I missed that junk. We're going to do that one week. I'm bring some felt boards up. But this is as close as I'm getting today. So this is Jesus, and he's carrying the sheep. He's got this young sheep on his back. And growing up, I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, look at Jesus. He's so awesome. And he's got like his staff and he's carrying the sheep. That sheep was probably way off in a, you know, didn't know where it was at and was lost. And Jesus went and found that sheep. And that's so sweet. And then I figured out later, I was like, yo, he broke that sheep's legs, man. (laughs) That sheep's got broke legs right now. He's just like, it hits a little different, don't it? You're never going to see it the same again. Stained glass windows, like he broke that, he broke that sheep's leg. But, but it's true, it's true. And it's, uh, there's a spiritual truth to that. So Jesus uses this idea of shepherding. I mean, it would have hit really, really hard in first century Palestine. Maybe not so much as a modern day kind of a, an anthropomorphic, like a metaphor, where I'm going to use this story or this metaphor simile to kind of make this idea come to life. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Sometimes we wonder, and if we continue to wonder... Like, if we're under his care, if we're in his flock, like if we're believers and we've surrendered our life to him, he will break them legs, is what I'm trying to say, right? And so it's metaphorical, calm down. But at the same time, it's hurt. It, it hurts to, like, wonder and then have him go get you and bring you back is, is a painful experience. But it's so true. And so Jesus, I mean, this is all the things that these people are thinking. Whenever he's talking about being the shepherd, uh, this is kind of the things that they have in mind. And so, um, this is all of, all of that to kind of frame this passage today in John 10. Verses 12 through 13, it says this. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not care or does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and it scatters. That's really important. Um, it scatters. And then the man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And Jesus says... I'm not a hired hand. I own you. Like, you're, if you're in my flock, if you're under my span of care, I own you. It's, there's a difference between the two. So if you're in Christ, he owns you. That's what it means to surrender your life to Jesus. That's what salvation, the moment of salvation is when you realize who you are in relationship to him, and you go, you show me where to go. You lead me, you guide me, you got my life. I'm giving it all over to you. And there's a real ownership, a transition. Your identity now becomes Christ. And this is the reason why Jesus will leave 99 sheep for the one. Because he owns the one. The hired hand does not leave the 99 for the one. 99 is a great percentile. Like, it's a, it's a high A. Like, if I'm a hired hand, I'm like, cool, we're doing pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, I'll get paid 12 bucks an hour for this. I'm not, you know. So it's like, so, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. I love the one. I'm going to leave the 99. And listen, the 99 are together. The one is the one that's lost. I'm going after the one that's lost. And, um, and there's this real ownership on the part of Christ. Jesus compares his approach as a good shepherd and an owner of a sheep to the hired hand. It's the difference between, you know what it's like to buy a brand new car um, or rent a brand new car for like three days, you know? Like if you buy the brand new car, what do you do? Even if it's new to you, you care about that car. 
wash that car. Kids, don't get in my car. Get your nasty, what are you, raising a barn? Take your shoes off before you get in my car. Like, don't eat in my car. You know, and you park that car at the back of Publix. You know what I'm talking about? Like, take up two parking spaces, that guy. Like, I don't want a shopping cart to dent this thing. And if you rent a new car, what do you do? Drive that thing like you stole it, bro. Like, you just like, you're like, let's go. Test the limits. Turn that thing in, you need a new transmission. You know what I mean? Um... Because you don't own it, and because you got the insurance in Jesus' name, you know what I mean? But you don't own it. You treat it differently. Jesus is making the distinction between hired hands and ownership, and he's saying, no, you don't understand. I paid for you. I own you. You were bought with a high price, and so he comes after us. I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to stop caring. I'm not going to stop pursuing. I'm not going to stop shepherding, and I'm so grateful that he doesn't stop. That even when we're at our worst, even when we're far away, listen, if I'm in Christ, he comes after me. And so it might be, listen, I might be a sheep that's like, you know, a few hundred yards away. I might be a sheep on another continent. I figured out how to, but the good shepherd will come and he'll get, he may break your legs, but he will come and he will get you. Something else to point out here. He can leave the 99 for the one because the 99 are together. I love this passage because it tells us that the tactic of the enemy, when the enemy comes like a wolf, uh, it says that he attacks the sheep and the sheep scatter. And, um, and he loves to isolate. This is, I mean, if, if you ever, I love animal documentaries. Um, I do. I love to watch the, uh, the discovery documentaries or the the Earth, uh, Planet Earth series, anything David Attenborough narrates is awesome to me. Like anything where a British guy just talks about, like you can make anything profound if you put a British dude talking about. It. So it's like, um, it's like a cheetah, you know, after and and like it's like a bunch of gazelles in the field, cheetahs running after. What ha- what do, what do predators do every single time? They isolate prey every single time. One slips off from the pack, from the herd, whatever. Boom, you're dead. Like it's, it's, and so this is the same tactic that the enemy has for us spiritually. He gives us this metaphor for a reason. And this is what we have a tendency to do spiritually as well. When life is hard, when we're broken, when we experience sin, when we know we're wrong, when we want to do things our own way, we have a tendency to go, I'm not returning the text. I'm not returning the call. I'm not showing up. I forget church. I'm good. I'm on my own. I want to do things the way that I want to do them. I want to do, I want kind of like just marinate in my own misery is what we have a tendency to do. Um, Leave people behind because we get to a place where we're ashamed. I don't want to play by the rules. Nobody understands me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. And then we isolate ourselves, and then the enemy comes and devours us. And so um, he scatters. That's the tactic. And so one way to uh, one way is to just lean into the idea that you cannot follow Jesus alone. I'm here for the night. Your boy's here for the 98. I need the 98. I, I need people in my life to show blind spots, weaknesses, places that I've got the potential to stumble, things that I can't see. I need people speaking into my life to help me. And I definitely need the good shepherd. So the idea is to to not scatter, 
but to stay together. This is the reason why the assembly is so important. A lot of people push back on the idea of church today. People are like, I can follow Jesus in my home with my family. No, you can't. That's, try it. It does not work. You need people in your life who love you, who care for you, who are rolling with you, who are pursuing the same thing that you're pursuing. You need one another. That's, I mean, and the, the, the vision of our church is uncommon unity. The vision of the first century church is uncommon unity. There's no biblical precedent for following Jesus in isolation because you will get eaten, right? And so he tells us in this passage, I'm the good shepherd. The wolf comes to a hired hand and he abandons the sheep. But then he says this, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. What's he talking about? And so when he's talking about a wolf, he's not talking about trials or hard things, right? The wolf is the enemy of all of us. Satan, the devil, words you don't hear a whole lot in church or broader culture for sure these days, like sin, death, hell. When he says, hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm facing a wolf, he says, I'm facing this snarling, bloody evil. And Jesus is the good shepherd. When I see him, I don't flinch. I don't flinch. I lay down my life. And Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came as the good shepherd to give provision, leadership, guidance. I'm leading you to, uh, to an abundant life. And he shows us, when Jesus uses this, this idea of being a good shepherd, he's really nodding to a passage in Psalm. Psalm 23, very familiar passage of scripture. You have a mug with it on, on the mug, or your grandma has a napkin. This is, the, this is Psalm 23, right? Verses 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that. You will lie down in green pastures. I like it. He leads me beside quiet waters, still waters. He restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. Why? For my sake? No, for his own, for his name's sake. And so Jesus is telling us, hey, I'm the good shepherd And I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. If you're new to the Christian faith, and we've seen a lot of life change over the past few months, and a lot of people who come and just kind of try church on again, or people who get dragged to church by family members, they're like, you hate church, come to this thing. (laughs) It might be you. So, but if if that's you, like, here's the, so here's the story of this week, and as we head into the cross, is the idea that Jesus lived in perfect submission to God, the Father perfect life. The Bible tells us blameless, spotless. Anywhere that he was tempted, chose what God wanted for him instead of what you and I have a tendency to pursue ourselves. He lived in perfect obedience to God's will. And yet he's tempted in every way. This is Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way. Anything you, and just as we are, we were tempted, yet Jesus didn't sin. That's the difference between us. And so Jesus, he lives this perfect life, and then he surrenders his life on the cross, absorbing all of God's wrath, absorbing all the things that were intended for brokenness and sin and disobedience and things like evil. He absorbs the blows. That's what the cross is for. Jesus comes and he offers his life as a ransom and says, I laid down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm, I'm taking it on. The wolf's coming, and I'm taking it on. I'm not offering you as a sacrifice. I'm willing to lay down my life for myself. And then what's insane about this is that when we're in Christ, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we believe on the cross and his resurrection, and when we see him and submit our lives to him, he sees us as spotless and blameless in his sight, 
because Jesus took the blows, not because of good behavior, not because of, of self-righteousness, not because of any of that, but, but just only because Jesus took on the blows. This is a great passage in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when God sees you, he doesn't see your imperfection. He doesn't see your sin in Christ. He doesn't see your brokenness. For those who have surrendered your lives to him, he just sees Jesus. That is insane. That's wild. That's the reason why this, this week hits a little bit different as we head into Easter. Because that's a message worth sharing. God chooses to see us as spotless in Christ's perfect obedience that's given to us. And grace is crazy, and it should prompt us to worship him and pursue him and really desire more of a relationship with him. That's what grace does. Grace makes you become in a way that good behavior, bad, focusing on good behavior or bad behavior, focusing on myself, right? Like I'm doing good by comparison or, you know, I'm, I'm you know, like focusing on those things versus coming into a relationship with him and really submitting our lives to him. John 10 Jesus goes to bat for the sheep. He lays his life down, takes away the power of the wolf to do us harm. So um, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever seen the YouTube videos of the cobras when they do like the snake charming thing. Have you ever seen that? Um, I don't do snakes, okay? So I've never seen like, I don't do snakes. I don't do spiders, if I'm being real. Your boy hates, I hate spiders. Anyway, but snakes, no, sir. So, um, but last year, I will say that last year, I did uh, kill a copperhead and defend my family's lives last year in the summer. And, um, and I'm very proud of that. I have a picture of the copperhead if you would like to see it after services. But um, there's, there's this thing they do with um, cobras where they have snake charmers and there's baskets and... Uh, the cobras, you know, there's a dude playing the flute or whatever. If you've been to the Middle East, and I know church family, there's people that are in here that I know for a fact you've seen this played out. Like you go to India or somewhere like that, and these dudes are playing the thing, and the, the cobra comes up, and they're like doing their thing, and then they'll strike at them, and, and it, it's freaky to watch. It's like, why would you do And then some guy comes up, and he's like tapping the snake on the head. And, and then, uh, but then you realize... Uh, that they, I was like, how does this even happen? They super glue the snake's mouth shut. Yeah. You're like, oh, snap. Okay. I, yeah. And so guys are coming up and they're like, because snakes can't do anything. So like, it looks real freaky, but there's nothing to it. They just get angry, um, but there's no bite. And so this is exactly what we see playing out in John 10. Jesus says, I come, I lay down my life and the wolf can't touch you. Can't touch you. Can get angry, can snarl, can bark, can like do all those types of things. Super glued shut. There's no bite in Christ. And so that's what he's teaching us in this passage. There's this showdown between the enemy, the wolf, and Jesus, the good shepherd. And he says, I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says, In me, there's no bite. In Christ, the enemy can't do a thing. He's, the same enemies who, who, who has wreaked havoc uh, in the universe and yet no longer has any teeth for those of us, and this is really important, for those of us who put, uh, put our care under the good shepherd. It's only for those who are in the flock. And I know that's an unpopular message, but that's also the Bible. So Jesus comes and he lays his life down and he's willing to protect and care for and stop the bite of the wolf for those who, for those who are my sheep. 
for those who come under my span of care. Verses 14 through 16, Jesus says this, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay my life down. He keeps reminding us. I lay my life down for the sheep. In the gospel of John, the word know, uh, it, it means like this intimate knowledge of like this relational knowledge, not knowing about, not like intellectual assent, like I know about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. I've heard that before. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. That's great. And he's like, I know you know him. Do you know, like, do you talk? There's a reason why prayer, I love to talk about prayer because it's like, do you talk to him and he talks back to you? Because if you begin a relationship with Jesus, he'll begin to show you some things, tell you some things, reveal some things, Right? By the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, he begin to talk to you, begin a relationship. He knows you, and he doesn't just know you in any way. He knows you in several ways. John 7, 17, 3, it says this. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you. There's that same phrase. They know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You, like, he knows you. The good shepherd calls you by name. He calls you by name. And this is the first thing. Uh, he knows us by name. This is John 10, 3. Same passage. Verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I love that. So God knows your name. He created you. He fashioned you. And the Bible says he knows every detail about your life. He knows you in a way that nobody... He knows you more than your mama. He knows you more than your spouse. This is crazy. Listen to this. He knows you more than you know you. He knows you. All your struggles, all your fears, every hair on your head, all your desires and your hopes and your inhibitions, he knows you. He knows you by name. He doesn't call, God does not have this, he does not have this relationship with his people. Jesus doesn't have this relationship with his sheep where he just shows up. You know what I mean? He's at Target or at the gas station or he's in the lobby somewhere and he looks at you and he's like, hey, buddy. Hey, girl, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's awkward when you don't know people, people's names. You're like 54% sure her name is Karen, but you're like, I don't really, I'm not going to risk it. How you doing, lady? Like, you know, just like really superficial, generic, um, you know, and so, uh, but Jesus knows you by name. He knows you by name. Um, he even knows your nickname. Listen to this. This is the Bible. In the Gospels, Jesus, he, he meets Simon, and then he says, that's not your name. Your name is Peter. That's your name. I'm going to give you the name Peter. He calls James and John. I love this. Jesus gives them the name. He says, you are the sons of thunder. How awesome is that? That's so great. It's like a, it's like a, uh, like a professional wrestling tag team. You know what I mean? Like from back in the day, it's like sons of thunder. It sounds, it just hits. Jesus just makes that up. Um, I love it in the gospels. Like he sees Zacchaeus. So here's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector and a sinner. Little Zacchaeus goes up in the tree. You know what I mean? He doesn't have a sign. There's no, he doesn't have a name tag. He's not holding like a sign. I'm Zacchaeus. Jesus walks up to the tree. What does he say? Zacchaeus. He never talked to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, come on. Like, you know, and so he calls him by name. I love it in the garden, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. Mary goes to visit and, uh, and realizes that Jesus is no longer there. She's upset by this. She looks at what she thinks. The Bible tells us that she thinks Jesus is the gardener, which is so great. I love the irony of scripture. But anyway, Jesus is standing there, and she's like, what do they do with the body? And then Jesus says her name, Mary. 
and she hears his voice, and he calls her by name, and she has this moment where she realizes for the very first time, anybody, like, oh, my God, like, you, you know, you're here, and you've risen from the dead, and this is wild. So Jesus calls her by name. He calls us by name. And this, is, this should encourage you, because so many of us, um, we, spend, we spend our lives worried about the, the identity attached to our name, like what people think of us. What are we going to be remembered for? What is my legacy? Let me build my brand. Let me build my name. What are they going to say at my funeral? Like all this kind of stuff. And the whole time, Jesus knows you by name. How crazy is that? Like, the God of the universe knows you by name. And so he knows us by name, but the good shepherd, he also knows our nature. He knows our nature. So um, each of us is so different. <laughs> like, the things that you're good at, the things that you love, the weird, weird quirky things you got going on. Like, everybody in this room is so different. Uh, predispositions, our weaknesses, our strengths, our fears, our failures, our characteristics. It's, it's not unlike parenting. Brooke and I, we have five kids at home. And it is wild. Same kids have the same parental philosophy, same parents, same environment, same context. None of that matters. They're all so different. And you think you got it, you got a handle on parenting. You're like, I got it, bro. I got you. Right? You get one down, and they're like, nope. And you get another, like, coming at you from a different angle. So it's like, it's, but they're all, they're all so different. Um, and so that's what we see. Even in Scripture, the 12 apostles, apostles were this way, too. Peter, Peter was outspoken. Peter was impulsive. I like Peter. Peter was like, he was that guy. Uh, uh, Thomas. Thomas was uh, hesitant. You know, Thomas was very careful in his, his analysis. He's doubtful Thomas, right? Uh, um, think about Andrew. Andrew in the gospel. Andrew's that guy in the gospel. is just a people person. Andrew's all the time bringing people to Jesus. Hey, got me Jesus. Come on. Like, like every single time you see Andrew, that's what he's doing. Judas had a tendency to use people. And Jesus, he has, uh, he has a close relationship with all these guys, knows exactly how to deal with each of them. And because Jesus uh, does that, because he's the good shepherd, he leads differently. He knows them by name, knows you by name, knows your nature, like in ways that you don't even know it. And then uh, he knows our needs. He knows our needs. And I want to spend some time on this because we all have needs. Um, the good shepherd can often see what we can't see. So you're thinking in terms of material things always. Like, again, the Bible talks about this. You're thinking, what am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? Where we're going to drive? Where we're going to go? Where we're going to, like, those are all the things we're focused on. He's going, no, I know things that you need that you can't even see for yourself. And Psalm 23 reminds us that the good shepherd cares for his sheep in the pastures, by waters, through valleys. The sheep don't have to fear because they're taken care of, and they begin to trust the shepherd to lead them and take care and to provide for them. As a matter of fact, if you combine verse 1 and 6 of Psalm 23, you basically have all of Psalm 23 in this little phrase, I shall not want all the days of my life. There's Psalm, there's Psalm 23. 
And as Jesus cares for us, we get to know him better. We become dependent on him for breakthroughs, realize that he's the source, and we know him by listening to his voice, hearing his words, and experiencing his daily care. There's a reason why quiet time is so important. There's a reason why prayer life is so important. There's a reason why spending time in his word is so important, because he'll lead you by his word. You get to hear his voice through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God will speak, and you'll respond. And then in doing, like actually letting him lead and actually letting him shepherd you, you realize, dude, he is taking me to places that I didn't even realize I wanted to go. He's taking me to greener pastures. He's taking me to like amazing places. Look at Psalm 20, uh, excuse me, look at uh, John 10, 16 through 18. The passage goes on. It says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. Nobody takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And so Jesus, uh, when he says, there's sheep, they're not even here yet. Um, He's speaking to a Jewish audience. And again, like, these are ethnic Jews. Everybody there that Jesus is talking to is Jewish people waiting on a Messiah. And so Jesus is claiming to be the son of man. He's claiming to be the Messiah, but he's going, it's not even what you think is so much greater than that. And these people of first century Palestine, these Jews have forgotten Genesis 3, Genesis 12. They've forgotten that God is a God of everybody. (laughs) And And you're just thinking, well, God's coming to save us. He don't care about Rome. He don't care about Corinth. He don't care about any of the Middle East. He doesn't care about the rest of the globe. God cares about his Jews and Jesus reminds him in that moment, he's like, listen, I'm the good shepherd. And yeah, you guys, you guys are sheep. If you follow me, you let me lead. If you'll submit, you guys are sheep, but also there's sheep who are not even here. There's sheep that you hate. They're going to be my sheep. There's people, there's people in your life that you disagree with. There's people in your life that you, you might not look and think, wow, yeah, that God's for them and really desires a relationship with them. Um, all of this, you know, this is Palm Sunday. And so the Jews are thinking in this moment, again, they're thinking about their expectations of Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he blows their expectations out of the water with just this broad love for humanity and this desire to bring whosoever may come into the flock. Here's what's wild. When Jesus says, when he says in this passage, hey, there are sheep that are not here yet. There's sheep that are part of my fold that are not here yet. Let this sink in. He has you in mind. He has me in mind. He has people who haven't even come to faith in Christ yet or surrendered their lives to him in your family, in your workplace, in our community. He has them in mind. You're like, them people, they're broken people. Oh my gosh, they are going to hell quick. Like, he has them in mind. He's going to rescue, redeem. He's the good shepherd. He's using me and you to do that. He's using me and you to share the gospel and the good message of how much he loves us to rescue and redeem. Jesus lands this part of the passage with this statement in verses 17 and 18. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. And then he says this, only to take it up again. This is John 10. He's calling his shots, right? People are like, well, you know, Jesus never really talked about his resurrection except all the time. So John 10, uh, and so I'm going to take my life up again. No one takes it from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. No one's forcing me to do what I do. I stand in the gap and I lay down my life for those under my care. And I do it of my own accord. And so the gospel message that God loves you, pursues you, desires a relationship with you, and has literally, Jesus has literally laid down his life for you. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Um, That message of grace is wild. It's wild. People have a hard time reconciling their lives with that message and the expression of love that God gives Love's made manifest in Jesus. And so we usually respond in three ways. When we hear that he's the good shepherd, that he cares for us, that he knows us, and that he desires us to lead us to an abundant life. And how he got there, how he got there was by laying his life down. We respond in one of three ways. Some people say, there's no way. That's not me. Um, That is a great message. But I am a broken joker. And that message is not for me. I'm too far gone. There's got to be some kind of limit there's got to be some kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know um, reach for Jesus that after, after this sheep wanders that far, we're done. Uh, but it doesn't matter if you go a few hundred yards or if you're on a different continent, he's after you. And so no sin is too great for the love of God. There's people who sit in spaces like this and you feel judged. Just by walking into a church, you feel judged. Isn't that crazy? People come in and um, they carry sin and brokenness and shame. And right away they go, I don't belong. And I would say, based on your own merit or good behavior, you do not. And neither do I. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how far. It doesn't matter what you've done. When you surrender your life to Christ, he says, I am the good shepherd and I'm coming after you. This is, the, this is Romans 5, 6 through 10. It says this. You see, just at, right, at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It happens sometimes. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at your worst, when you were at your most broken, that's when he that's when he gave his life for you. And since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? All of the things that were meant for me and you and our brokenness and our sin and really our disobedience. We are a selfish, I am, a selfish person who desires my own way. And yet God in his grace and in his mercy and in his love for me says, you know what? I'm after you. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, you were his enemy, and he died for you. How much more having been reconciled? For those of you who have a saving faith in Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, it says this. How much more having been reconciled would you be saved through his life? How much more life awaits? How much more abundant life awaits for those who who have already been reconciled. When you were at your worst, when you were at your worst, he decided to die and rescue you. The the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The cross screams, you did not go too far and you cannot go too far. 
or struggle too much or sin too great for the love that bends down and plucks you straight out of your misery and your brokenness and your hell. That's what the cross is for. The cross is for those who are broken. Jesus comes for those who need a a great physician. He comes for the sick. He comes for those who are willing to say, I need that. I need what he has to offer. He doesn't come for the self-righteous. He comes for those who would say, I need grace. I need it. And listen, if you think you've sinned too great, God's grace can't redeem you. We really underestimate the goodness of God and his love for us. And really what you're doing when you do that is you elevate yourself to a place greater than, you elevate your sin and your brokenness greater than the love of God. You elevate yourself greater than God. You re, and you're making yourself a little God and you're a terrible God. You are a terrible God. And so that response is not a good one. No way, I'm too far gone. No, you're not. God loves you right where you're at. Christ died for you at your worst and then welcomes you into a relationship, not so that you can stay there, but so that you can be led into greener pastures and a more abundant life, more obedience. But some of us, our response is not like that. It's not no way. Sometimes our response is uh, we get a little bit arrogant. We look around uh, and we go, of course God loves me. Yeah, cross. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, I'm awesome, right? There's a sense of entitlement and we get there by way of comparison because we look at the rest of humanity and we look at broader culture and we go, oh dude, if we're grading on a scale, I am good. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I mean, compared to all these morons, like I'm good, right? So it's like, I'm good. I've got it together pretty much. I mean, look at Tom. Tom's life is a hot mess. If your name is Tom, I'm not being passive aggressive right now. It could be a prophetic word. You need to lean into that. But I'm just saying like it's, but so Tom, like look at him. He is making some dumb life decisions. He is broken. He is jacked up. Oh, look at Shelly. She is a gossiper. Again, not, I don't know if you're, I don't know if if there's a Shelly in the room, but like she's a gossiper. She is a fork tongue liar. Like I'm like compared to her, I am good for grading on a scale. I deserve it. Um, but you are a broken sinner. And even that mindset is damning more than whatever Shelley's working with or whatever Tom's working with. This is the thing that Jesus comes and calls out in the Pharisees, this self-righteousness. How bad is it that you're in this space, that you're so arrogant or so confident in your salvation, not based on what Jesus has done for you and your brokenness, but based on good behavior? And Jesus comes to just push in the face of that and be like, no. You are jacked. I am here. The good shepherd comes and lays down his life. That's the only way you get in right relationship. So if, and and I, I struggle with comparison. I struggle with looking around and going, I'm pretty good by comparison. And he looks at me in my life and goes, no, you're not. You need me. That's the game that we play. But we're lost sheep in need of a good shepherd who lays down his life. The third response that we see to this message is this. Is this, you just realize who you are in relationship to who God is. And it's humbling. And it continues to be humbling. If I'm being honest with you, sanctification is like, oh, okay. But, but it's so good for you. <laughs> And it will lead you to greener pastures. And it will lead you to a better place and a more abundant life. 
You have to see who you are in relationship to who Jesus is. You see how far off you are and how good our God is in his grace. Listen, the, the, mature, the mark of a mature believer is the person who realized, wow, I've gone way over here. But also, wow, God's grace goes even further. And so that's what the cross of Christ is, and that's what resurrection is all about. The heart of the good news of Jesus, of who he is, is redemption. Is sheep being brought back into the fold, and in order to get there, the good shepherd has to lay down his life. The only way I get to where God wants me to go is not on me. It's already been, like 2,000 years ago, in order for me to live the life that God wants me to live, everything's already been done. It's just the moment of salvation, and even the moment of sanctification, the moment where I become who God wants me to become, and the moment of living the abundant life is when I just remind myself of who Jesus is and what he's done in my place. And it's in my response to that that I get led. I get led to a beautiful place. I want to read this passage to close this out. This is Psalm 23. It just says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to live? I would. Wouldn't we just like to live in a way that we just stop fearing people, situations, circumstances, a lack of provision? Or like He's like, hey, under the span of the good shepherd, man, I can lead you in a way you're not even going to fear death. You fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Your guidance, your leadership. It says this in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You and I have a good shepherd. He knows you by name. Listen, if you're in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he knows you by name. He knows what you struggle with. He knows your nature. He knows your fears. He knows your hopes. And he wants to lead you to a life. Imagine whatever you can dream up, it's better than whatever you've dreamed up, exceedingly and abundantly more. He knows your needs. Things that you can't even think, you, things you don't even know you need. He knows your needs and he leads us to a place. And he does that by laying down his life. And so our response ought to be one of three. There's no way I don't, I don't fit the mold. or I, Yeah, I totally deserve that. Or you know what? Man, I'm finally seeing who Jesus is in relationship to me. And I want to surrender my life. It's the only thing that makes sense. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for the way, you, the way you lead us and the way you teach us and the way you love us. Thank you for this passage in John chapter 10. Thank you that we, you came that we might have life and that we would have it to the full. Help us not to settle for less than what you paid for today. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you've already surrendered your life, but you know what? There's some areas of my life where I know I've missed the mark. There's some areas of, of my life where I know I've wandered. And, and to be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm probably pretty far away from the flock. I'm probably, 
I'm in desperate need of being rescued. I'm in desperate need. I'm, I'm isolated. It's a scary place. If, you, if you're here and that's you and you go, I'm in Christ, but I'm just struggling with some things in this season. And you just be open and honest. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at and say, that's me. I just need a good shepherd to come. And so, Jesus, we pray that you come and you'd lead us. We pray that you'd come and do what's necessary in our lives, God, to draw us close to you, help us to come and be back a part of the flock, a part of the fold. You love us so much, you're after us. If you're here and you've, you're like, listen, I've, I've known things about God. I want to know him. I want to know him personally. I want to have a conversation with him. I want to pray him, him, him answer my prayers. I want the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. I want the Good Shepherd to show me where to go and how to live. I don't want to live isolated. I don't want to live lost. I don't want to live without the abundant life that Jesus promises in John 10. And today, I see Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. The Good Shepherd laid his life down for me and absorbed the blows that were for me. God took on all of the sin by way of his son and paid ransom for my brokenness and my disobedience and my decisions. I just decided to make it about me instead of making it about loving God and loving others. So today, I'm surrendering my life to Christ. Today, I'm going all in. If you're here today and you want to make Jesus the leader of your life, you want to surrender your life to him would you just raise your hand right where you're at and just say i'm going all in today that's for me i need it right where you're at i believe god can meet you in a space just like this today the prayer doesn't save you i see a hand thank you prayer doesn't save you jesus saved you the moment of your salvation is when you realize what he's done in your place and just pray this prayer right where you're at just say jesus i give you my life thank you for loving me thank you for leading me thank you for laying down your life for mine And today, in response to that, God, I surrender fully. I surrender fully. I'm going all in. Give me over to a great faith to make an impact on other people's lives around me, God. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.